0: Before we pray and before we look at this passage, uh, passage that's familiar to many of us, it's, again, exciting to, to note uh, how the Lord is leading us in the coming days. And just last Sunday evening, we gathered in a meeting to vote on our proposed Constitution and bylaws, which passed with uh, a pretty large majority last Sunday evening. And we, so we have official bylaws and Constitution to govern us moving forward. We have just this past week received our Articles of Incorporation, which officially recognize us as a church in the eyes of the state, anyway. Um, And we also had the joy and privilege last Sunday evening of nominating our first two men to serve as lay elders in our congregation moving forward. And those men are Dave Morris and Trey Mangan, and you can read more about them in the bulletin. But it's exciting uh, to be able to, to nominate these two brothers for you to consider to serve in the role of elder I believe very much that they are qualified men to serve in this capacity and will serve our congregation well and look forward to the coming days where we're able to vote on them in that way. Let's continue to be prayerful and mindful as we move forward in what the Lord's going to be doing in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. As we now open your word and seek to hear from you by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to not just be hearers of the word, but, Lord, to be doers of the word. Help us not to leave here merely uh, amazed by what we hear, but, Father, may it reach to our hearts and captivate us so that our lives are different this week in a way that's visibly different. And so, Father, would you now teach us and transform us by your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you either sink or swim? It's a phrase we often hear, isn't it? Uh, regarding to, uh, related to many many things in life, employment or, or school or, or kids growing up when it comes to uh, engaging in new, new areas, new realms of life, you either sink or swim. In fact, many times we talk about that when it comes to swimming itself. I mean, you jump in and it's either sink or swim. And that is true when it comes to many things in life. You either make it or you don't. Some would say that as Peter stepped out of that boat, his feet hitting the water, that it was a matter of sink or swim, or just plain stupidity, considering who Peter was and what he was doing. Some think that he was acting foolish at this point. I don't think it's a matter of sinking or swimming. I think what we see here as Peter steps foot onto the water is that it had nothing to do with his effort, but everything to do with faith. So as we consider Matthew 16, as we consider Jesus walking on the water, and as many scholars have referred to this account as Jesus walking on the water, and that's in fact the title that's often in our Bibles, this text, while it certainly demonstrates the glory and magnitude of Christ walking on the water, has just as much to do with Peter and his walking on the water, at least for a moment, really it has to do with a lesson about faith. You know, when you think about life, when you think about our joys and our troubles, our sorrows, or whatever it is that we have going on in our particular circumstance at the time, how is it that we respond? How is it that we as believers, especially as Christians, how are we to approach our circumstances, good or bad? How are we to demonstrate our allegiance to Jesus? Whenever, Whenever you consider this text this morning, whenever you... Consider it uh, in its broader context even within the realm of Matthew's gospel, but particularly here when when we see what's going on in in this passage. What I believe Jesus is doing is, is not only is he giving his disciples a very important lesson in discipleship. You think our equip classes are tough on Sunday morning? This was an equip class, equip 101, when it came to faith. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples a very important lesson. In fact, I believe very firmly that not only did Jesus send his disciples out into the boat on the sea, that he very much knew and in fact ordained the storm to come so that he could teach them the lessons that they encountered in this particular account. As we consider faith this morning, especially in the context of the difficulties of life, I think there are several aspects of faith that we need to keep in mind, but there are several other things related to the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the the activity of Christ himself in our lives when it comes to our faith. Whether or not our faith will remain strong and true, or whether or not our faith will waver and become weak. At least three things that we see in this passage in order for us to to avoid a wavering faith, especially in the midst of life that can often bring trouble. Well, they're very straightforward this morning, these three observations that we have from this text when it comes to our faith and relating that to the difficulties of this world. What do we do when life begins to sink beneath us, when, whenever literally, whenever we are living a life. That, that, that throws the challenges that it throws at us and, and we feel like the, the, the foundation is crumbling. What do we do? Well, there are several things that we do. Number one, we need to remember that Christ is present. We need to remember that Christ is present. You look at verses 22 through 24. After the crowd was served, Jesus, with a bit of urgency, puts the disciples into a boat and he sends them to the other side of the sea while he remains behind and dismisses the crowd and we're told he goes to the mountain and prays. So you see the scene, Jesus is putting the disciples and, and again there's this bit of urgency there. We don't know exactly why there's that urgency but Jesus had a plan and he had a process and, and he puts them into the boat and they make their way at night now across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus remains to pray. Several things that I think are important to notice there just as side observations is the authority and command of the situation that Jesus had. I mean, Again, you see, uh, demonstrated for you the the authority that Jesus had over this whole situation, over the 5,000 plus people that were gathered, over his small band of disciples that were with him, as he puts them into a boat. And and it doesn't seem to give an option that he was just making this as a recommendation, but rather an authoritative command to get into the boat and make your way while he remains to take care of the crowds and dismisses the crowds. Think about that, 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men plus women and children, who... It's not some easy feat to just, just dismiss that many people. And then Jesus goes to the mountain and prays. So as the disciples make their way across the sea in the boat, they encounter a storm. The waves and the wind begin to rage against them. And basically brings their trip to virtual standstill. Now this was a trip that should not have taken, we're talking a trip that was three, four, maybe five miles in total. And it shouldn't take, have taken them that long, maybe a couple hours or so, to make their way from one, in, one side of the sea to the other side. We're told later on that Jesus comes out to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning which indicates, implies that the disciples, having been dismissed in late evening, were on the water anywhere between eight and ten hours at this point, which also informs the, the intensity of the storm that they were facing. They were not making headway at all. So you can imagine what they must have thought or even said to each other at this point. The reason I say that you can imagine is because you and I have been there. We've been in the boat, not literally, not literally on the sea, but you and I have been in very similar circumstances. We've been in those dark, lonely, discouraging, exhausting moments when it seems that Jesus is nowhere to be found. I'm sure that's what the disciples were feeling. They were lonely, it was dark, it was difficult, they were exhausted physically, probably fearful. I can't help but think that they were most likely, where in the world is Jesus? He sends us out here, and here we are. The truth, however, is that Jesus knew exactly where the disciples were. In fact, Jesus had known, even before they had gotten there, exactly where they would be. Because both the storm and the disciples were under the care of Jesus' watching eyes and his strong hands. Mark chapter 6, verse 48, Mark's account of this same story, says, While Jesus was still on the mountain, it says this, And he saw they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Jesus on the mountain praying saw that the disciples were not making any gain on their trip. They were three to four, according to John's gospel in John chapter six, they were three to four miles away from him. And yet Jesus saw where they were. I love what Pastor John MacArthur said about this text, he said, we will never find ourselves in a place where Christ cannot find us. We will never find ourselves in a place where Christ cannot find us. What we have here is a powerful statement regarding the omniscience and imminence of God. He is all-knowing and always present. In fact, the 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 truth of of the matter is that Jesus, knowing this, knowing where they were, even from a far distance, is yet another proof of his divinity. Friends, one thing that you can be absolutely certain of in this life, whenever the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing and it seems that Jesus is far away, the truth is is that he is ever-present and all things. He has all things in his sovereign grip. We need to remember that Christ is present. And sometimes it won't feel like it. In fact, sometimes it will feel like he is far, far away. Friends, he is God and he is omnipresent. He is always present and he, he can be trusted even when we are at our greatest moments of turmoil. The second truth that we see is that we should rely upon Christ's power. Look at verse 25. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And there is where Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, if it is you, that's a condition of fact, by the way. You could also translate that, since it is you. water to you. Come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Plenty of people have tried to downplay this event as some kind of miracle. they've, they've, They've attempted to say this was not a miracle. Rather, it was something else. In fact, the liberal scholar Albert Schweitzer in his famous work The quest for the historical Jesus said that this account was nothing more than an optical illusion. That had to be that Jesus was walking on a sandbar, or maybe he was on the side of the shore. Maybe they were closer to the shore than they realized, and he was walking on the the side of the shore. He could not have been walking on the water. Maybe he was in the shallows. Maybe it was just ankle deep, and it seemed as if he was walking on the water. In fact you can go to the sea of galilee today and they actually have plexiglass that you can walk out on the water as if you're walking on the water listen friends i'm not into redefining the bible to fit my rational thinking so if the text says he walked on the water i take god at his word and i fully believe that jesus was walking on the water in the midst of a storm. It's just not smooth water. Jesus responds, this is important that you see his response. He, his response, take heart, it is I. That little phrase, it is I, is ego and me, which is the same phrase translated in John's gospel seven different times, I am. It's the same phrase used in the Old Testament in reference to the name of God. I am that I am. And I'm fully convinced that Matthew knew exactly what he was doing when he used that same phrase right here when Jesus comes out on the water and he confronts his disciples in great fear and great panic and he says to them, take heart I am, it is I. Yahweh is present. God is in your midst. Do not fear. This encounter with Jesus upon the water in the midst of this storm is a great test for the disciples. In fact, again, I I believe that Jesus intentionally sent them out into the situation in order to teach them. Here we see a lesson of faith, especially through the eyes of Peter. Two kinds of faith going on here, both in Peter. In Peter. Number one, we, we see what we could just simply call true faith. Once Jesus clarifies who he is, because they're, they're seeing what they think is a ghost, and, and so they cry out in fear, but Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter answers, Lord, if it is you or since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. As Peter, after Peter realized who it was, he wanted to draw near to Jesus, and so Jesus grants the request. Now while I, I would be the first to acknowledge that Peter's faith was far from perfect, what we see at this point is a demonstration of real faith. You know, some want to claim that Peter was out of line, that he was acting foolishly, or even uh, that he was just being obnoxiously ridiculous at this point. Either, why would he want to, you know, they would say, why would he want to get out of the boat, and so he was acting foolish, or he was actually wanting to replicate the miracle himself, wanting to be God. Now, I don't buy that, because I think, as others see it, it's a true expression of faith. Peter was a fisherman. Of all the people in that boat, he was going to be the one that knew the danger of getting out on the water. He'd been in those situations before, and the last thing that he wanted to do was be on the water, in the water, in that kind of situation. But once Peter realized it was Christ, that it was Jesus, he wanted to draw near to him. Peter's faith, though far from perfect, was nevertheless demonstrated in a true fashion, it was an act of great faith that enabled him to get out of the boats. Because it went against everything he knew as a fisherman on the sea. Friends, true faith sees Christ for who he is and takes hold of him regardless of the situation and circumstances that are surrounding you. I think that's what Peter initially is demonstrating here. He is demonstrating a genuine, true faith as he steps out onto the water and begins to walk on the water to Jesus. Regardless of what anything else, any common sense would tell him at this point, regardless of all the experiences that he had gone through as a fisherman, he is demonstrating a trust and a confidence in Jesus at that moment. Which I think is a good model, example for us. Is that even when the wind's blowing, the waves are crashing, and it makes no sense, and it seems like we're about to go down, that if we will simply look to Jesus and trust in him, that is all he asks for. I think you see a demonstration of true faith, but I also think you see a demonstration of wavering faith. What Jesus calls little faith. Regardless of how one sees the moment of Peter exiting the boat, an act of faith or an act of foolishness, Peter learns a valuable lesson. It was in his book uh, called The Christian Ministry, Charles Bridges, a fantastic book. He wrote a chapter entitled For Want of Faith. And it's in that chapter that Bridges says this critical phrase, He, he says, all our failures may be ultimately traced to a defect of faith. Did you catch that? All our failures may be ultimately traced to a defect of faith. Anything you do and fail at is a defect, defect it's a demonstration of a defected faith, an imperfect faith, a flawed faith. Because what you see here is while Peter started out well with his eyes on Christ, trusting in him, walking on the water, it did not take long for him to begin to sink because what happened is he took his eyes off Christ and he began to be more concerned with the context and the situation brewing around him than he was concerned with Jesus. And then he begins to sink. And when you think about this, just think about the scene, just imagine the scene. It's very important for us to recognize that the circumstances Peter was experiencing at the moment, as he stepped out of the boat in faith, were no different. Circumstances had not changed than when he began to sink. That is critical to understanding what's happening here the storm was just as intense at the moment that he began to sink as it was when he placed the first foot out of the boat to begin with I mean perhaps things would have been altogether different had Peter stepped out onto smooth water and then the storm came you can imagine a little bit more okay I can see why he's panicking but that's not what happened he stepped out of the boat with the wind blowing and the waves crashing. The cir- circumstances had not changed. There was nothing new to the, circ- to the situation. The only thing that had changed was Peter's perspective. The only thing that has changed at this moment was his faith which began well, which started strong, but now was weak and wavering, a man of little faith. I do think it's helpful for us to note that while at the moment, verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. It's not as if he didn't see the wind before is it? He saw the wind before, but what changed the situation initially was that he saw Jesus. And Jesus became central at that moment to his perspective. But now he's looking back at the wind and he begins to be afraid and he begins to sink. But notice, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Even though his faith was wavering, even though his faith was weak, even though his faith was small at this point, faith was still present. He had some level of faith, though weak it was. Great Bishop J.C. Rawls said, What a lively picture we have here of the experience of many a believer how many there are who have enough faith to take the first step in following Christ, but not faith enough to go on as they begun. Friends, there are many things in this world that will cause distraction and tempt us to take our, take our eyes off Christ. There are many things. And fear and doubt and little faith will be the inevitable result whenever we quit seeing Jesus for who he truly is. When circumstances or people become sovereign and not Jesus, you will be marked by a person of little, weak, wavering faith. But rather, when we see Jesus as sovereign, no matter the circumstances, our faith is strong and exactly where it needs to be. Nothing had changed circumstantially. Nothing had changed in the situation that Peter was engaged in. Nothing had changed. The wind was still blowing. The the waves were still crashing. The boat was still rocking. Jesus was still walking on the water. Nothing changed except his perspective. His perspective had changed, and his faith began to waver. You know, this account is quite alarming to me. Let me tell you why. It's alarming to me because whenever you see G, whenever you see Peter, and he steps out onto the water, we, what we see is a, a demonstration of, of, of strong faith, true, genuine, strong faith. But in a matter of seconds, seconds, he begins to sink. How quickly he goes from strong faith to little faith from from seeing properly to not seeing properly how quickly he goes from having his eyes fixed on Jesus to now having his eyes overwhelmed by the circumstances quickly just think about just think about yourself we are more like peter than we want to admit and how is it, how, how, you don't have to explain to me, I, I think I know the answer, I'm giving the answer even as I talk, but how is it that we can come in here, how is it that we can come into a room like this on a Sunday and sing about the greatness of God, the power of God, the glory of God, and the, the, the majesty of God, and be overwhelmed with God, And hear from his word and about the power that he has and about the glory that he displays and about the provision that that he grants his people. How is it that we can come in here and be so caught up with that? And two hours later, fretting over how we're going to pay a bill. Wondering how we're going to walk with our children through this circumstance and, and almost growing in despair. How is that? How is it that we can have a moment of, of just elated joy with, with Christ being our king and, and being our strong foundation and walk out of here and in just a moment of minutes, if not hours, and live as if the, there's no foundation? What changed? It wasn't the gospel, it wasn't God, it was your perspective that's why it's so critical that we place ourselves in a context not just from 10.30 till whenever I quit preaching that's why it's so important that we place ourselves in a context where we're often being confronted with the glory and power of God while we must regularly go to the gospel while we must regularly invest our lives in the foundation of Scripture because we as the hymn says, are prone to wonder. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to have our perspective informed by something else instead of Christ. And it doesn't take but seconds. It's important that we realize that even though The presence of doubt is a reality that we all face. In fact, I would say every Christian has known certain types of doubt. If you you claim you've never doubted, I would doubt that you are breathing. All of us have struggled with that. Doubt of some type. Friends, the issue is not the presence of doubt, but whether or not the doubts control us. That's the issue. So how do we fight against a wavering faith? Well, several things quickly. You you need to realize and remember who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. He's the master of the universe. He's the one that sets the boundaries of the seas, the waves, the winds. He's the one who has every molecule in his hand. The best, listen, the best antidote for little wavering faith is a view of a big and glorious God. God. If you struggle with weak faith, your God is not big enough. Immerse yourself in His Word and be be enamored by His glory. Be overwhelmed by His power. If, If your faith is wavering, friends, God is not big enough in your eyes. That's why doctrine matters why it's critical that we get the doctrine of God right because when the doctrine of God is not right it will show itself in your life your doctrine of God will be demonstrated every day that you live by what your perspective of life is and how you engage circumstances and how you deal with the good and the bad Another thing that we do to fight wavering faith is certainly realize who Jesus is, but don't look back. Don't look back. You know, one of the things that we struggle with as Christians, once we, you see this here, once Peter steps out onto the stormy waters, he's walking on the water. They didn't have that plexiglass thing there yet. He's walking on the water in faith. As his eyes are fixed on Jesus, but he looks back and begins to be overwhelmed with circumstances that he has overcome already. Now, many a Christian struggle when they've had victory in their life, when they've kept their eyes on Jesus, and they take that glance back to where they've been. And the flood of memories come back and, and, the, and they just get bogged down yet again because they look back they take their eyes off Christ and they look back to where they've come from. They revisit the pains and, of the past, the failures of the past, and they, begin cons- begin, they, they become consumed with those things yet again. Don't look back. Number three, keep your eyes on Christ. Friends, listen. Faith in Christ is not something you exercise once. It's not. You don't. Now, there's a point in your life when you are converted once. I don't believe in multiple conversions. I think that once you're converted, you're a Christian forever. You're kept by the power of God and For his glory. But. Once you trust in Christ. In fact the Bible talks about. Walking in faith. Every moment of your life. Must be a moment lived out. In faith in Christ. Believing in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. Over and over. Not to be saved over and over again. But you're growing in your faith. You're walking. You're exercising faith and trust and confidence in in Christ. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in a work on the same text in his book, Spiritual Depression, said you cannot live on an initial faith. You cannot live on one climactic experience. You must keep on looking to him Every day. We walk by faith, and you live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need him as much on your deathbed as you did on the night of your conversion. We need Christ. Third point. Not only should we remember him and walk in him, but we need to recognize Christ's position. Look at verses 32, really through the verse 36. And when they, well, verse 31, let me back up. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And he goes on in the rest of that chapter, and they make their way to the land, and Jesus continues to heal all the sick, even those who touch the hem- fringe of his garment. Critical point here once Jesus and Peter return to the boat, another miracle happens. Without a word, Without the movement of a hand, the wind stops in an instant. Jesus demonstrating his power and authority, his sovereignty over creation, just with a thought, stops. Mark's account says they were utterly astounded. John's account said they were glad to take him into the boat. You think? Matthew says the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him. Saying, you, you're truly the son of God. Friends, this is the first time, first time, that the disciples Begin to recognize the reality of who Jesus was and verbalize it. That's the guy, the Son of God, and the first time we're worshipped him. Friends, you can't look at this scene, and especially when coupled with every with the events prior to it, and not conclude. that Jesus is worthy of worship. You can't. You can't come away saying, well, that just happened to work out for them. Friends, Jesus stands out in this chapter, in this scene, prominently as God. Yahweh. I am. What a picture of Emmanuel we have. God with us. Not only does he calm the raging sea, he calms the hearts of his disciples. Friends, when circumstances dominate our hearts, we will waver in our faith. But when Christ is seen for who he is, we will worship him. Friends, that's important for you, not just this morning. But it's important that you recognize this on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and any other day that gets added to the calendar. We must recognize Christ's position. He's not just another man. This is God in the flesh revealing himself to his people that he loves, that he loves dearly. You know, we look at Peter... And we shake our heads. What's he thinking? Why did he even get out of the boat? I, would, I will say most of us probably would not, we would have been like the other disciples. We'd still be in the boat. But at least Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. But we shake our heads at him. and But listen, while Peter certainly failed persevere in his faith at this moment, the beauty of this scene, the beauty of this scene is that Christ did not fail in his commitment to Peter. At the very moment of doubt and fear, when it seized Peter's heart, notice, Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And in that moment, the strong and faithful hand of Christ came to his rescue. Listen, listen, if you belong to Jesus, if that's you, he will never let you sink, ever. You may fail, you may doubt, you might even feel as if you're in a place where Christ could never find you, but if you are truly his, he will not let you go. Romans 8, 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, nothing, nothing. Friend, when life begins to sink around you, you cry out to Jesus. Notice here that as Peter begins to sink, he doesn't splash around in the water trying to make his way back to the boat. Weak as it was, in faith, he still cries out to his Lord. And the Lord rescues him. Friend, when life begins to sink, cry out to the one who is present, to the one who is powerful, to the one who is exalted, because he stands ready to help you. And listen, when life isn't seeking and you're walking as you should, don't look back. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes where they need to be. Don't be overwhelmed with the circumstances and the situations and and the things of this world. Be overwhelmed with Jesus. As Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are glorious. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are awesome. Lord, we get a glimpse of that in your word this morning as we see you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us on the sea to perish. We thank you, Lord, that even though the storms come and even though the difficulties arise in our lives, Lord, even though the the struggles come and, and our faith grows weak, God, you are constantly present. You are constantly present to keep us, to guide us, to pull us from the depths. Lord, we thank you that your hand is always upon us. Lord, even when we don't feel it, and we even when we don't see it, we think that you are pre- we thank you that you are present. And that your hand is there to guide, to lead, to instruct, to care for. Father, we know that you are our ever-present God. We rejoice in that this morning. Lord, I ask that, that you would search our hearts today and that you would help us to see as men and women, boys and girls in this room, Lord, that you would help us to see, to see Christ as we need to see him. Father, the reality is is that for many of us in this room, just this past week, maybe even now, our faith has been little, our faith has been wavering, our faith has been weak. And it's because, Lord, we've been looking, we've been looking more at our circumstances, we've been looking more at other people than we have Christ. And Lord, may this be a call to us today, to look to Christ to see him in all of his glory, to see him in all of his power, to see him for who he is, that our faith would be in him and that our faith would not be in ourselves, that our faith would not be in our circumstances, that our faith would not be in other people, but Lord, that our faith would be in the sovereign hands of Christ. God, would you forgive us for where our faith has been little? Would you forgive us, Lord, for where we've doubted? And Lord, would you help us now to stand strong to walk upon the water towards our Savior who loves us. And Lord, maybe there's people in this room, Lord, they've been sinking. They've been sinking, and they've been sinking, and they've been sinking. Father, would you pull them? Would you pull them from the depths? Place their feet on solid ground this morning and Father for those who are here that they're sinking but Lord they're sinking without a savior would you be their savior today Lord don't just save them from a circumstance don't just save them from an event but Lord save them for eternity help their eyes to be fixed upon Christ as their only hope as their only treasure, as the only one that can forgive their sins and set them on the proper foundation. God, would you grip them this morning and call them to yourself? Lord, you know us. You know us far better than we know ourselves. Would you work in our hearts and lives even now as we stand and sing in just a moment? Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.